Hi, I'm Shelly. And I'm Nicole. And you're listening to the Baby Pro Podcast, where we talk about everything and anything related to pregnancy through the first year of your child's life. Every episode, we will discuss and interview experts on all the questions expectant and new parents want to know, such as creating the perfect birth plan, infant sleep, and tips and tricks for parenting a newborn. Welcome to the show. Hi, Nicole. <laughs> Hi there, Shelly. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. How's your week so far? Oh, it's going okay. How about you? It's going okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's going pretty good. Yeah. We're recording in February, so we just had snow. Yeah. There's a lot of snow outside right now. How much did you guys get? I don't know. We had a lot. And I know um, the first day of the storm, they just moved everybody to remote. Yeah. But then um, the second day of the storm, they're like, we're not even going to have remote because the winds are predicted to be so high that it like, right. we're predicting people to lose internet and power, which didn't actually happen, but I understand why. Yeah. And, did that. and that's been my question this whole time are like, are snow days legit a thing of the past, even when COVID is over? Because every, every school system basically is set up for, you know, for right. remote learning. So are we just going to, um, I know are, um, yeah, it's kind of weird. This new, uh, post-COVID life, what will it look like? I know. I know. Yeah. Crazy, because we never know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So many changes. Yeah, if we've learned anything, it's that anything can change any minute. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This week, we're going to be talking with Abby Coulter from Prepping for Peanut about the do's and don'ts when you're making your registry. Nice. Oh, because I was like, with Brooke, I was swallowed up by all the baby products. Right, right. And some of it's too much and some of it is, you know, some things are so necessary and so much of it is not. Mm-hmm. Want to do it well. Right. Like with Brooke, we bought a lot of the, um, like the cute little outfits with the jeans and the sneakers. Yeah. <laughs> and it's only like one day of having to take those stupid jeans and sneakers off eight times a day or whatever to change a baby's diaper before you're totally over it. That's right. <laughs> After the first day, I'm like, okay, these outfits are going to be for when like grandma comes over because I'm not dealing with this every day. Absolutely. Yeah. You want everything to be as practical and easy as possible mm-hmm. for one. Yeah. And I think with each kid you have, it just gets less and less. Like I felt your diaper bag too. Did you find that with my diaper bag and with every kid I had, it got smaller and smaller until finally, I think with Hunter, I would just like throw a pack of wipes and a couple diapers in my purse and go. Exactly. Oh yeah. Your first one, it's like an entourage. Yeah. And then the third one, you're like, you'll be fine. Nothing a little spit can't do. Can't mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. There is this TV show I used to watch. I can't remember. I think it was called Yes Dear or something like that. And it was about a family um, and two sisters and they were complete opposites. One was like very type A and she, she planned her whole day, like minute to minute. And she packed this huge diaper bag and she was going out with her sister and she was like, aren't you going to bring a diaper bag? And she's like, no, diapers are like breath mints. The worse it smells, the more likely someone's going to offer you one. <laughs> and I was like... That's my kind of girl right there. <laughs> that is too much. That's awesome. Mm. Yeah, rely on other people. Now I can just take out of your diaper bag. Yeah. 
exactly. You have enough in there for the next year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about our favorite of the week. Yeah. Can you go first? You go first. Okay. This week, my favorite of the week is something that I have been loving for a long time. It's a pottery store. Oh. It's called Pup Dog Pottery. And it's actually owned by Maria Petty, who was the guest on our previous podcast episode. Nice. She's the one that custom made my boob mug, the one that ah. the, the breast, and I love yep. it. And she's so talented and beautiful. I can't stop buying her stuff. I'm her number one customer, and nobody better try to take my place because <laughs> I just keep throwing money at her, saying, like, give me more, give me more. But right now she's on Etsy, but I know that she is making her own website to be launched soon, and it's called Pup Dog Pottery. And I love her Instagram. She puts up, like, a lot of reels of her, act, like, behind the scenes, making all the mugs and the bowls and everything. It's really fun to watch. She's just does a beautiful job. Nice. Mm-hmm. And what is your favorite of the week? <laughs> yeah. So my favorite of the week, um, we're talking about parenting stuff, was a book that I read years ago when my kids were little, and it was Parenting with Love and Logic. And it's, um, I found it to be a very practical book to read when your kids are um, during the years where they need direction sometimes and um, when they are asserting their own will and their own agenda and their own desires, which is totally normal, natural, and healthy, um, but how to um, parent them in a way that respects everybody's boundaries. And mm-hmm. um, I found it extremely practical and helpful. Mm-hmm. So it's been many years since I've picked it up, but um, most of my kids are out of the house except for one who's almost 16. So mm-hmm. haven't necessarily needed it, but um, a really healthy, practical book for those who are in the trenches of school-age children. Mm-hmm. It looks like it's on, it's, it was last updated in 2006. So it's not. Yeah. I love books like that. And we'll put that in the show notes, but I love books like that where um, they honor and respect the natural child development and teach parents how to work with that rather than trying how to work against it. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. You don't want to break spirit. You want, you want to teach them um, in a way that does not take away from who they are and who they're supposed to Mm -hmm. become. There's another great book that it, that does that, that I liked was how to talk when, how to talk so your kids will listen. Yeah. That was yeah. a really good one. And then I also read, um, I think it's called Parenting the Whole Brain Child. That was a really good one. Oh, uh, yeah. That was a little bit more to the like hippie-ish kind of, I'm a hippie, don't come after me, but you know what I'm talking about, like kumbaya kind of feel. Um, But I still thought they had a lot of good information in there. Good. Yeah. Times. Mm -hmm. All right. Let's move on to our question of the week. Great. So I got this question through Instagram and it was, how do I lower my milk supply? I have oversupply. I have to pump three times a day just to prevent severe engorgement. Each time I pump, I pump for four minutes and I get six to eight ounces. So Uh, she's pumping like 18 ounces a day in like 12 mm -hmm. minutes total. 
Yeah, that's an oversupply. Yeah, that's a lot of milk. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. So there are ways to manage oversupply. But to be honest, I don't want to get to them death because what really needs to happen is that you need to connect with an IVCLC who can take your full medical history because we need to kind of figure out why you're producing so much milk and based on the reason why, go from there. Because there's a lot of things that you can do, but you know, if there's something medical going on that's causing you to create all that milk or there's something else going on, like um, something within the breastfeeding itself, then that needs to be assessed. But yeah, oversupply can cause a lot of problems with mastitis, plugged ducts, can cause a lot of issues with baby too, like coughing, choking at the breast, um, upset tummy, a lot of gas and reflux. Sometimes they don't even gain well, even though the parent has so much milk. Yeah. Um, and I used to have oversupply too, and I would just spray milk everywhere. My babies would come cough, off coughing and choking and they'd get sprayed in the face and the couch would get sprayed and the dog would get sprayed and there was milk right. everywhere. Mm. Yeah. And a lot of people are like, oh my gosh, you have oversupply. That must be such a nice problem to have because you've got all this <laughs> milk. And it's not like low milk supply is an awful problem to have. Oversupply is an awful problem to have. They both have like, you know, they both create issues. Yep. Anything sure. you want to add? No, I agree with you. You're right on the money. Get an IVCLC. Mm -hmm. You want to get your history taken. You want to know and you want the, the best way to, to work with it. And the best way to do that is to know why. So, yep, right on. Perfect. That was a great question. If you have any other questions, you can email them to Shelly at ShellyTaftIBCLC.com or you can DM me on Instagram at ShellyTaftIBCLC and Nicole and I would be happy to take your questions. And up next, we will be talking with Abby Coulter from Prepping awesome. for Peanut. Hey, everyone. I just wanted to chat with you a little bit about one of the biggest obstacles that I see expecting and new families facing when they're having a baby, and that's lack of support and community. I know that having a baby can be overwhelming. There's so many resources out there. Some of them are better than others. You never quite know if you're getting the most updated evidence-based information, and also there's the lack of support. So that's why I created the Baby Pro Bistro. You can join the Baby Pro Bistro and get monthly support before and after your baby arrives. The Baby Pro Bistro provides you with all your prenatal and new parenting needs. So when you join, you get the prenatal childbirth education class, the prenatal breastfeeding class, the prenatal newborn care class, and the prenatal infant sleep education. You also get postpartum information like a starting solids webinar, community support, and expert speakers who talk on various subjects such as infant massage, and pelvic floor health. I'm so excited this week to interview Abby Coulter from Prepping for Peanut. She is a baby planner and baby products consultant. Welcome, Abby. Hi, great to be here. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I am first and foremost a mom of a two-year-old little boy, and that kind of takes up a big chunk of my heart and time. But I'm also an entrepreneur and a product marketer and the founder of Prepping for Peanut. Like you said, we're a baby prep concierge service. And what we help women do, and men actually, is prepare to welcome their children and when we talk about baby prep, we talk about a really multifaceted process. And I take care of kind of prepping the lifestyle and 
dealing with nursery setup, product selection, and baby registry curation as a big chunk of that. I find that a lot of people get really bogged down in creating their baby registries because there's just so much choice out there and it's really overwhelming. So I kind of help them sort through the clutter and determine what is product marketing noise and what will add value to their lives. A big part of that is really starting with their lifestyle and getting to know them before even talking products. And how did you kind of get into this business? Yeah, it really was born out of my own experience. You know, two and a half, almost three years ago, when I was pregnant with my son, I, you know, thought I was kind of above the product marketing law and couldn't be fooled by subway advertisements and Facebook and Instagram influencers. But then when I entered the baby gear market, I was just inundated and totally overwhelmed. And like so many people, I spent so much time on it. I mean, the average baby registry people spend 40 plus hours on, where which is like crazy to think about because like, what could you do with 40 hours during your pregnancy, right? There's mm-hmm. like just not enough time to prepare. And people are spending that researching strollers. So I did all of that during my pregnancy and then found myself still totally ill-prepared for the early stages of motherhood. And that's because it's not the wrong thing to spend your time on, but your time could be spent doing so many more useful things, Um, seeking out lactation consultants, figuring out if you want to use a postpartum doula, a baby nurse, what is that care in the first couple weeks and months look like? Um, So I just focused, I guess... I don't want to say the wrong things because people do feel like they're more ready when they spend time that doing that, but it's just making sure that we're not only spending time there. So that's kind of how Prepping for Peanut was born. I felt like the more conversations I was having with other mothers, they were saying something similar. And so I was like, why are we doing this to ourselves? Like we could spend 40 hours doing whatever we want and use it so much better and be more prepared if someone just did this for us. So um, here we are about a year and a half later, and I love helping families kind of figure it out and just save them time and energy and stress. I love that. And I wish that you were around when I was having my babies. (laughs) And I was so young when I had my babies. I didn't know what the heck I was doing. I just, you know, we went to Babies R Us. And we said, we're here for the registry. And they printed out this like 40 page list. Yeah, it's a crazy list. (laughs) Yes. We just like walk through the store like, oh, I guess we need this. And I guess we need this. And I didn't really spend too much time researching anything. Um, But like strollers or so, I just picked out a stroller because I thought, oh, that looks pretty. Right. And it ended up being this like monster of an SUV that I could barely move around the stores with but yeah it's it's so overwhelming what they tell you that you need and by the time I had my third kid I was like you know with your second you're like I don't need that much stuff I'll take now like half the stuff from the attic and then by the time I had my third it was like well I'm 39 and a half weeks I guess I better find the best right and sometimes no totally there's a certain amount of education I also do particularly for first-time moms because you just don't know like you don't know that that giant stroller that everyone says is amazing is going to be horrible to get in and out of your car or the the bottle warmer you're never going to use or whatever that is and we talk about kind of I even talked to some couples about like 
lactation guidance and who they need to seek out for that because I'm obviously not there. Um, what the pediatricians recommend because there are a lot of products on the market that actually the Association of Pediatrics is not is not cool with. So there's like a lot of education and you just don't know um, until you've entered the market. Yeah, let's talk about that for a second because I always get these questions like um because I'm also like a sleep mm-hmm. coach and I always get questions about like for example sleep positioners which are not safe and the AAP does not recommend using any sort of sleep positioners and the parents are always like, "Well, then why do they have them on the market?" So the association uh, that runs the the merchandising piece of the juvenile products, they adhere to government standards who they are not going to be up to date with pediatric recommendations. So they can get by introducing things to market that the pediatricians don't align with. And there's always going to be that rub there. And a lot of it has to do with safety testing. Their standards are totally different. I mean, if you even look at car seat standards, people are always asking, what's the safest car seat? Well, they all adhere to government regulations, but do the, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean which one's the best. Um, so when anything is run by the government, in my opinion, they're a little slow to do things, slow to change things. So they're, you know, people advocate, including the pediatricians, for, for differences and changes in these government-run organizations as well as the merchandising-run organizations, and they're just not aligned. But it makes it confusing because it's on the shelves that babies are asked, bye-bye baby, wherever you're shopping, and you just don't, you assume it's on the market. Oh, great, great. I should buy it. But it's marketing. It's not, it's not safety. Right. So it kind of sounds like the government standards are like the bare minimum. In the U.S., they're not, um, they're not as great as in the EU and they're different too. So I've had people reach out to me about products in Europe and I'm like, I'm not familiar with that product. And I, I'd like to think I'm familiar with a lot of them, but even the same brands don't have the same products in the U.S. as they do in the EU. Mm-hmm. So would you say like in the EU, they're, they're on a higher standard, so they have to like change the product to fit those standards? Typically, it's a slightly higher and also it's market product market fit is a portion of that also. They've done research that said the European family needs X, but they decided the American families don't. So it's a lot more marketing than it is anything else, which is surprising. Right. And I feel like a family, like you said, could go down the rabbit hole trying to figure this out all out instead of just, you know, consulting someone like you who kind of knows it. 100%. It's the same, you know, it's the same thing with beauty products. And I think people are becoming more wise about that as well. And I'm not an expert there at all. But, you know, you see things coming out about the toxicity in beauty products, but all this stuff is on the market. Um, So it's not that they're the same thing, but like try to think of all industries are kind of like the beauty industry. We are learning new things. Things are developing. Science is changing. And the pediatricians are coming out with uh, new recommendations and guidelines. And the industry is not as quick to to change and update. Mm-hmm. Right. I completely agree. So one of the questions I got was, what are the baby registry must-haves? How do you guide a family with that? So I both love this question and really struggle with it. And I get it all the time. My approach is so custom and personalized that 
I really don't like must-have lists because I think that's how we end up accumulating things that we don't need. Um, one parent's must-have is another parent's must-skip, and people tend to love the products that helped solve a problem for them. So if I'm mom who's struggling with milk supply or I don't know what, it, this is your line of work, but I'm trying to relate it to that. And they find a product that helps them. Either it's a really comfortable pump or they love their milk catcher, whatever that is. That's their must have. And they go around town and they tell everyone that this is their must have. But it might not be mine because I might not have that issue. I might not even breastfeed, right? So I, I think it has to be really customized. Um, a car seat is a must-have because they literally won't let you leave the hospital without one. Um, mm. So that's always on my list. A changing station of some sort for diapering, uh, a feeding station for some of some kind. So a really comfortable rocker. Um, so whether you're nursing or you're bottle feeding, whatever that is, you need to be comfortable. You're going to spend a lot of time there. So those are some of my must-haves. But then I like to get into, you know, the nitty-gritty of people's lives um, and figure out what's going to serve them best. Mm -hmm. I completely agree. I run across this a lot with breastfeeding products too. For example, like a lot of families will say, well, what's the best breastfeeding pillow to buy? And it's kind of like, well, you don't technically need a breastfeeding pillow. And some families spend the money on them and end up hating them. And for other families, they're like, oh, my gosh, this was a lifesaver for me. And then there's so many different brands. And some are better if you have twins or, you know, depending on your body shape and size and baby size. So it just really depends. And you can't like I can't just say, well, I like this pillow above all others. It's like, well, like it's kind of like what what will end up working for you. And you can't really know before baby arrives. Right. Right. And that so many people's like must have hospital bag lists for breastfeeding moms include a breastfeeding pillow. And you're like, but I don't know what that's going to look like for me. Um, I encourage people if they do want to be prepared, part of the lifestyle piece and digging in there is like, what's your personality? Are you someone that's going to feel better by having all the things? Or are you going to be someone, and this is definitely my, where I kind of skew, that feels like your space and life has been totally taken over by baby. You feel like the walls are closing in and the products are suffocating you in your home. Then let's wait. Let's make two lists for you, two shopping lists. And one is you still get everything, but one is for now and one is for earmarked for when X arises or when you need Y. So that's how custom I get with my clients, um, even just figuring out what's going to make them feel good because that's part of it too. Like you don't want to be counting down to your due date, freaking out that you don't have a crib set up, which by the way, you don't need. Um, but if you are one of those people that like just type A, wants my nursery set up, no, no way am I giving birth without having this done. We'll set up your nursery and that's fine too. Mm-hmm. Everyone's different. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that because I'm sure, you know, there's no, there's no baby product that is emergency. If that makes sense, I'm sure. Like, I'm sure you're putting on their on their their list. Like, this is the stuff that you should get now, and this is the stuff you're earmarking later. This stuff that you're earmarking for later, you won't need in an emergency. No, and I often mm-hmm. find that people don't 
don't even use those lists sometimes, like that secondary list, if there's someone that gets, some people want it all and they put everything on their registry and that's fine. But people who want to do it that way, they might never even circle back on it. They have a recommendation for if they need it, but they often don't circle back on it. And it really avoids what I hear from so many families, which is I have a closet filled with stuff I never used. Mm -hmm. Um, Which was my life. When I was having babies, there's like so much waste associated with it too. So much waste, mm. and you can't really re-gift like an open package of sterilizer bags. You know what I mean? Like it's not a sexy mm. re-gift. Um, so right. kind of figuring out, keeping it to. I, I typically keep it to a minimum. Mm. Right. And I remember when I was shopping for my first, there is some stuff that I just didn't buy because I didn't think of it, like a bottle warmer and a baby wipes warmer. I don't remember if we just, this was like 16 years ago. I don't remember if we just saw it on the list and we were just like, ah, we'll skip that. But, you know, I went through multiple kids without either of those products, but I feel like everybody else was like raving about them. And I almost felt like I was doing something wrong by not having them. Oh, well, that's terrible. You think- feel like you're doing something wrong. Right. I think that's part of the culture though. When you start talking about like products, 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 you, you know, some parents are like, Oh, you have that. Like, is that something I need? Should I run out and buy that right now? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That like, that brings me to actually something I encourage people not to do, which is crowdsource. And it's so easy to do now with the internet and, you know, even without the internet, you have a group of girlfriends, like you're going to ask them. But what happens is, is you end up with oftentimes double what you need because this mom says this and this mom says this, oh, I don't know which one I'm going to get both. And they kind of do the same thing. So we end up with redundancies when we crowdsource. Um, But like you touched on something so important, like we shouldn't feel guilty because we do or do not have something. You shouldn't feel judged for having it if it supports you and helps Mm -hmm. you and you shouldn't feel guilty for not having it. Mm -hmm. Right. Exactly. When you're working with a family, when do you like, when is a good time for them to actually like build their registry? What, What point in the pregnancy? Yeah. So this date used to be really pushed around, um, an event, right? It really tied to a um, baby shower. And that's still true now during COVID because people are still having showers. They're just digital. But there's less of a pressure to actually have the gift arrive by that time because people can do their digital showers like kind of any time. There's less of this like, I want the perfect size bump on this day and this nice. There's a little bit less of that. So people come to me typically at when they enter their second trimester, I like to start families around 22 weeks in the process if they're doing a full registry and then wrap up four weeks later. And it's kind of rolling. People tend to continue to add and kind of tweak their registry. But it's important to have everything and do all setup that you're planning to do by 36 weeks. Like you want to be done. Mm. Kitchen's closed. I'm not setting anything up. I'm not building any more furniture. I'm not trying to figure out my car seat, like totally done. Mm. Um, I usually say 32 weeks if you're having multiples because they tend to make their appearance a little earlier. Um, Mm. And you want those extra weeks to just decompress, unwind. You don't want to be running around buying stuff. You don't want to be looking for Allen wrenches to set up your crib. Like you just want to be done and you should be, and you should use that time to really take a deep breath and relax um, and prepare for birth. So 
that being said, like 22 weeks, 24 weeks is really the sweet spot to do your registry. And then you kind of, you'll have a shower invitation probably, and it'll give people ample time to get things, then get them to you, and then get them set up by that 36 weeks if you're working backwards. But there's also, people wait a really long time. Like you said on your third pregnancy or what number it was, you're like, I should find the bassinet. Like some people wait because they're superstitious. Some people wait because they're just a little more nervous or they haven't been feeling well in their pregnancy. Whatever the reason, people come to me at all times. I've had people come as early as 14 weeks. And as I have a client right now who's 33 weeks. So she's kind of pushing it, if I were to say, but we can get it done and she'll have what she needs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you only need like the bare minimum to start out with. I've worked with some families where in, they're in a certain culture where they it's bad luck to buy yeah. anything for the baby until the baby's born. So they've got their list of like, hey, as soon as the baby's born, this is the list of the bare minimum stuff that we need to have our family run out and get before we get home from the hospital or what. Exactly. And I've worked with a lot of families like that too, and they actually come to me for that specific list. They're like, I don't want to. I'm superstitious and I don't want to be looking, even looking into this stuff because I feel like it's a bad, uh, bad juju. Um, so I'll create that list for them and then they have it handy or their sister-in-law has it or whoever's going to do the nursery setup has it ready to go. And you see this all the time. I mean, the, the nurses at the hospital send you home with basically everything you need out of the gate. Like, you get your di- you get your diapers, you get baby's diapers. There's a lot of stuff that you just come home with. So not an emergency. Right. Yeah. And I remember too, like being kind of mad about some of the stuff that I bought, like the whole crib set up, the, the fancy quilts and the bumpers and that, you know, and then finding that out oh, you actually can't use yeah. them. <laughs> and I'm like, what, what do you mean? I can't use them. And, you know, safe sleep is nothing in the crib, but the fitted sheet. So we look at, yeah. Because it looked really nice when the neighbors came over and I was like, look at of the nursery, but other than that, I spent a ton of money. Yeah, I spent a ton of money on something I will never be able to yep. use. And that was really frustrating. Yeah. And they all merchandise that way. If you walk into Pot- Pottery Barn Kids, all their cribs have bumpers, quilts, the whole matching mm. set. And it's not safe. Right. Right. And I wish I had someone like you who would have said to me, like, don't waste your money on this. It's not safe. You're not going to use it. It's just... It just looks nice, and that's the only one. Yeah, yeah, it's a shame. So what are baby registry no-nos? That's another question I got for you. Um, I definitely think crowdsourcing too much is a no-no. You're going to end up with so many conflicting opinions, and I think if you're pregnant now or you've ever been pregnant, you know how people like to give you their opinions, particularly when you're (laughs) pregnant. Uh, So definitely crowdsource fake keep it to some like really trusted close close friends but even those people they didn't try everything they um haven't owned 20 strollers to sample you know they don't have all the information they know what they liked from the one or two things they tried um and it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work for you so avoid crowdsourcing i think that's the biggest no-no i see a lot and people just end up more confused the more they crowdsource and then forgetting products for themselves a lot of these platforms you can build registries on offer an ability to donate to 
a fund of some sort, like a cash fund for mom to spend on a doula agency or um, signing up for meal train, whatever that is. I think the big, a big no-no is people totally forgetting about themselves. Like baby actually needs very little initially. You are going to be recovering from birth, whether it's a belly birth or vaginal birth. I mean, any kind of birth is a recovery process. So making sure you take care of yourself and have that support system set up. I see it so much. People finish their registries and then they start thinking about it and they're like 36 weeks. Mm-hmm. You do, we got to do that first. I wish, I wish I had known that. Like, take care of that first, and then I can shop for strollers. Mm-hmm. But we, as mothers, I think that's just a common theme, right? Like, we don't put ourselves first, mm-hmm. and it comes through in all aspects. But th- this is definitely one I see it a lot. Yeah, I completely agree. Because how much time did you know? Like you said earlier, there's nothing wrong with spending a lot of time researching a stroller, but so many parents spend more time researching the stroller than they do researching their OB. Totally. Yep. Or researching, you know, how they're going to get the support they need, especially during COVID. You know, a lot of these families are going home and they're like, "Oh, now what?" Because I can't have a bunch of family come over and help me. We're in the middle of a pandemic, Um, and then and then I'm helping them scramble to find some sort of support system. Um, yeah, but like, I wish, I wish it was encouraged, you know, hook up, hook yourself up with providers prenatally that you might need to turn to in the postpartum period, like have a prenatal consult with an IBCLC or meet with a postpartum doula before the baby's born. So these are the people that you can call. And I think that's so great that you're helping them with that and encouraging them with that. Yeah. It's so, it's so important. I mean, I did it. It's so common that you just... You don't think about it. And yeah. I forget where you're located, but we're in New York City and the really good doulas get booked up. They do. The resources are, you know, people book that stuff well in advance. They, they get pregnant and they book their doula. They, you know, have a baby and they sign up for preschool. So everything just kind of gets scooped up soon. And it's not right or wrong, but it is part of the culture here. And so you got to do that first. You got to set yourself up for success. I always say, put your oxygen mask on before helping others. And that's what that's it. Okay. And it's, it can be the same here. Like I, I can, if I'm working with someone and they con- connect with me prenatally, I always say like the second you go into labor, send me a text. And then when you have the baby, send me another one because I want to make sure that I have a spot cleared on my calendar for when you get home. I don't want, you know, sometimes I'll get a text like, oh, we have the baby and we're home. Can you come tomorrow? And it's like, I'm booked out for the next week and a half. Right. And those days are Um, important, right? To get there. Yeah. Yeah. Babies can't wait. Mm -hmm. Babies can't wait. So, yeah, I think 100%. I also think connecting with different providers, you know, especially you, but also like when people come to me prenatally and they're like oh I see that I can put a nipple shield on my baby registry and I'm like please don't do that please don't do that like there are certain breastfeeding products that can make things worse if they're not used appropriately or not and I'm seeing more and more families just throw like nipple shields on their registry or there are certain type of nipple creams that don't work well or can make things worse and they're buying them getting to their house and they already have them or they're like, well, my friend told me to buy a nipple shield. So now I'm using this nipple shield and now the baby won't latch without it. So it's, there's so many questions that can be asked 
by the to the right professionals if you connect with them prenatally. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, no, and you don't want to make a problem where this is the this is what I say, don't buy for problems you do not have. Um, a friend had that problem probably and the nipple shields were like a lifesaver for her, but now you have them, you weren't having the problem and you're using them incorrectly. So that's that's tough. I'm just writing that down. Don't buy for problems you do not have because that I mean, that's what, I you that. that's what you do. You, you're buying for someone else's challenges, not for your own. You haven't had mm. them yet. Mm. And I think it's great, too, that you kind of look at the family's values. Like, maybe you have a family who wants to buy everything organic. Or, you know, maybe you wanna, you're want you working with a family who plans on co-sleeping. And so their choices for their registry are going to be much different. Super different. Than another family. Yep, no registry, for me anyway, looks the same. I mean... There are a couple I do where, like, you see a few things here and there that have overlap, but it is custom down to the diapers. So, um, mm. because everyone is different. Every baby's different. Every parent's different. Everyone has a different budget, different priorities, different values. It's just, it's not a one-size-fits-all. So, reading these must-have lists, like, you just end up with, you end up with stuff, but is it the right stuff for you? Maybe not. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I remember, I I never ended up using our crib. It turned into a very expensive laundry. <laughs> and I wish, you know, back then I wish that someone had said, okay, let's talk about what your goals are for sleep and how you want to handle nighttime feedings. And, and if, you know, if someone had talked to me about that, they probably would have figured out, you know, I don't think you're going to need a crib. Right. I think that you can, you can skip it. And that would have saved me a lot of like money and space. We, we lived in this tiny apartment. We didn't have, we didn't really have the space for a right. crib, but we were told, oh, you need a crib. You need a crib. You need a crib. Yeah. You're like number 1000 person who has said that about the crib, which is so funny because <laughs> for us, we use our crib. Aren't we? I have a two and a half year old and he's still in his crib. So for me, it was a, a well worth it investment, but it could have gone the other way. And you, you really just don't know. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of, you mentioned like COVID baby showers being done virtually. You're seeing a lot of that. How are, how are you, what is your experience and what are you seeing how families are throwing that together? People are still doing a couple people in person. Like they'll have their little pod of people over and then they'll have everyone else call in digitally via Zoom. Um, You do, they do a lot of activities, a lot of, you can do breakout rooms. You can do a lot of cool things on Zoom actually for games and things like that. Um, so people are definitely still having showers. They're getting their balloon arch and they're just putting it behind them in the screen. Um, a lot of that is still happening, but I do have a bunch of families who aren't doing anything, but I hesitate to believe that they would have done something to begin with. Like, I wonder if they just weren't planning to do it anyway. Um, it's just not their style, not their not their scene. I will say that there's, you can peacefully send out a registry or shopping list without having a shower. And people often are going to send you gifts. They're going to send you gifts whether you have a shower or not. So it's nice to be able to, even if it's not you personally doing it, a family member circulating that list, because you might as well get stuff that you need and feel like is right for you. Because gifts are going to start showing up at your door, shower or not. So um, I do still encourage people, even without the shower, to have have a list, even if they call it a shopping list, not a baby registry, handy mm-hmm. for people to utilize. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I 100% agree. And I recently threw a, a, not recently, I guess it was in the beginning of the year, like a Zoom baby shower for a friend of mine. There were two of us planning it and basically everyone did a no contact drop off with the gifts at my house because I live like five minutes away and then I dropped them off at her house, no contact. And then I had her favorite restaurant deliver food and we just met on Zoom and played games and, and it was, it was a good time. But I, I also think there's like a, at least in where I'm at in the Northeast, and maybe you can speak to this too, Abby, but I feel like there's like a cultural shift where it's not the thing now to sit around and watch someone open up a hundred gifts. You know, and not just during baby showers, but like birthday presents. And I mean, I hope so. Personally, I hope so because I hate the pressure of opening gifts in front of people. Um, so I hope that's the case. I recently saw a poll on Instagram, I think, where they were asking something similar. And it was a big community. And of course, I can't. It was today, actually. And I can't remember what account it was. But they asked people if they wanted to open gifts in front of people or not. And almost 80% said, yes, open gifts in front of people. And I was horrified because that's my nightmare. (laughs) So I hope what you're saying about a cultural shift is actually happening, but I'm, I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. That would be lovely though. That, that having to be excited in front of people and the pressure of that just Mm -hmm. doesn't feel good. Yeah. I think it was in a mom's group. That way it wasn't a local mom's group. And one of the things, so this is, I have absolutely no research behind this, but this is just something I noticed. And it was about a birthday party, a kid's birthday party. And someone was complaining that she had taken her, this was pre-COVID. She had gone to a birthday party and, and she was upset that the parents hadn't, didn't have the kid open the presents oh. while everyone was there. And I noticed that some kids were like, oh my, some parents were like, that is the rudest thing ever. And some parents were like, no, that's awesome. Like, it's so hard for the kids to sit still and watch another kid open yeah. presents. And, and I noticed it was more regional. Like, I feel like the parents who were from the South were more like, this is the polite thing uh-huh. to do. Whereas the parents who were from like the North were like, no one wants to sit through that. What are you crazy? Yeah, you know? interesting. This is really interesting. I'll have to keep an eye out for that trend. Like maybe it is regional because mm-hmm. I feel mm-hmm. I'm in the Northeast, but I feel strongly that I don't want to open gifts in front of people. Yeah. Yeah. That was like the most awkward thing with my first baby shower to sit there and open all the gifts. And cause I'm such a, um, introvert yeah. and I have stage fright and it was like, Oh my gosh, it was so awkward. And I didn't enjoy that part. Of yeah. It. And everyone's looking at you and uh, is your reaction big enough for this person's gift? Did you, it's, yeah. it's too much pressure. Let's put that pressure right. on ourselves. Right. And if someone buys, you know, if two people buy you the same gift, oh. then when you open it the second time, it's like, oh, like you can feel the disappointment in the air. Exactly. No one wants that. Skip it. Mm-hmm. Just send them thank you cards after. I take pictures of like if, you know, now if someone gives my kids a gift, I take a picture of the kid playing hey, That's with it. nice. I love that. That's good. We should all do that. Yeah. <laughs> So what other guidance do you offer families when when you're working with them? So I find that people people in your these big life stages like being pregnant are inundated with information and advertising really. And so they have a lot of paid and unpaid advertisement in their face. Even if it's just a mom on your Facebook group recommending something, you're getting a lot of too much information, right? It's almost overload. So I help them sort through the products. And more recently, I've also helped people 
find providers, just getting them down to a shorter list. Because if you start out with a list of 50, 100 people, like that's impossible to sort through. I recently saw on the mom's Facebook group I'm on for New York City, someone asked about something small. I can't even remember what it was. Maybe it was a baby carrier, actually, So, which is a pretty essential item, in my opinion. She asked about a baby carrier, and she had over 300 comments. Like, you can't even sort through that. So when you're talking about lactation consultants, when you're talking about doulas, when you're talking about acupuncturists, massage therapists, like, I can tap into my network and help you find someone that's trusted um, in the area. And I find just providing a short list for them to vet is helpful. Instead of starting with 300 mm-hmm. recommendations, you're starting with two or three. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's been really helpful for people. Most of my clients don't have a ton of time on their hands. They have really demanding jobs or maybe they just don't care to spend the time, but mostly it's because they just don't have the time. Um, so this is another area where I can really help them. I don't like making decisions for them in that area. I do think it's really important for them to vet the people directly, but I kind of give them a short list, which saves them a ton of time and stress. Mm. Yeah, that's perfect. And that sounds so helpful to families. And going back to what you said about like no crowdsourcing or try not to crowdsource. So where, if, if they don't have you in their back pocket, I've heard a lot about how you can't trust Amazon reviews or whatnot. How, how can they kind of figure out, is this really the right product for me? Or is this, and is this a good product to get if it's something that I'm leaning towards getting? Like, is this the brand that I should get? Like, where do they find information like that? So there are some blogs that are better than others. Um, or looking at a smaller community, I think, is a good idea. If you're a member of a community that's A, smaller, and you've taken recommendations from before, that's a good place to start. There are also some really awesome services and platforms that have popped up in the last few years that pull in trusted providers, and you can tap into that. Uh, My Nest, well, is one that I, I really like that's up in New York. Um, there are a couple and they their whole job is to be a platform for these providers. So they do a nice job of kind of narrowing that list a little bit. So I would definitely look there. It's not custom to you, but it mm-hmm. is just a smaller sample set to start with. Yeah, great idea. And what else? So do you work virtually too or just with local families? I work virtually. Um and since, you know, I launched my business, I was doing all beta work in the back half of 2019. And I launched, officially launched my business in January of 2020. So I had two months of doing my actual day-to-day business and going into people's homes was part of that, helping them set, physically set up nurseries, unpack gifts, things like that, really hands-on concierge work. And that quickly came to an end. I mean, I know your business mm-hmm. must have changed also. I think we're smarter now and can do it safely and understand more about coronavirus. But so, yes, it's, it's a long-winded ver- way to answer your question is, yes, I do most of my work virtually. So, which is actually a blessing and awesome because it's opened up clients in all different areas, clients in San Francisco, mm-hmm. clients in L.A., um, mm-hmm. 
still a lot of New York families, but I can work with people anywhere. Mm-hmm. Perfect. And I was looking on your website. I see that you have some, is it a checklist that you're offering? Yeah. So I, have a, I do have a checklist. It doesn't have, it has categories on it. It doesn't have specific products. So you'll mm-hmm. see car seat, but you won't see which car seat. And I was for a while only giving it just for free to my clients. It was part of their package to receive that checklist. But now I'm offering it for purchase to anyone who wants it. And I was built off of data and information from a huge network of moms and feedback from clients. So I think it's pretty concise. Obviously, there are other lists out there, but not to shoot my own horn. I think this is a pretty good one. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. And it's so it can be so just nice to just have someone who's done all that research again so that you don't have that like you were saying you don't have to spend that time doing that research and you can focus on more important things like how are you going to recover postpartum yeah how are you going to eat I think that was my biggest like on a a personal level like my biggest challenge how do I at the end of the day decide and prepare food for myself and you think it's something so small (laughs) it's like every day I eat that shouldn't be a problem but in those early days I I found it incredibly challenging yeah because you wake up and you have breakfast and then you blink and it's eight o'clock at night and you haven't eaten since then and from a lactation perspective that can lead to problems with milk supply or just you know absolutely everything really yeah no i'm just yeah. being a human i mean but if you're another human's food source and you're not feeding yourself that's a disaster waiting to happen mm-hmm. I think you've given some really awesome tips here and I love that you that you're helping families focus on, you know, the important things to spend their time and their their money on rather than just like, oh, which stroller should I buy? Um where can families find you if they want to connect with you? Yeah, so I I have a website, preppingforpeanut.com. I also have take DMs via my Instagram, prepping.for.peanut, so they can find me there. I love to connect with people via email, via DM, whatever they need. I, I like to be that person for them. Great. And I'll put all those links in the show notes. Amazing. Um, do you have anything else that you want to add? No, I just want to say, I think everyone's doing an amazing job navigating this time and navigating this mm-hmm. time while expecting is really challenging. So seeking out help and support is there's nothing wrong with it. I think it's a really good lesson in parent, early parenting, <laughs> learning how to ask for help. Mm-hmm. 100% completely agree. Well, thank you so much, Abby, for joining us. I, I think that you're doing such an important job. Oh, well, not as important as you. I, you know, <laughs> but thank you. I really appreciate it. And this is so fun. I've never podcasted before. So thanks for having me. Sure thing. Have a good day. You too. Bye. Thank you for joining us this week on the Baby Pro Podcast. Make sure to visit our website, ShellyTaffIBCLC.com, where you can check out our online parenting community, The Baby Bistro. You can also follow us on social media at ShellyTaffIBCLC on Instagram. If you love the show, please leave a rating on iTunes so that we can continue to bring you amazing episodes. Thanks for listening and see you in two weeks.